I encourage you to take out your Bible, opening to the Gospel of John this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 1. Um, by now, I hope you're aware, if you're visiting with us this morning, we have recently begun, in fact, this is our fourth week in a, a new sermon series that's taking us through the Gospel of John. And we just finished up a study of the book of Revelation, which was also written by uh, the Apostle John. And so we're getting a lot of John's own uh, experiences, knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John's Gospel, we are taking a long look at the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, well, because he's the most important person in the world. <laughs> And, uh, and, and there's nothing more important for us to look at this morning. And so as we look together this morning, we've been in the study now for about three weeks or so. And we've already seen some wonderful things about Jesus. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> if only everybody was that curious. <laughs> We've spent these last few weeks looking at some of the basic things about Jesus Christ and His Word that God is unfolding before our very eyes. And the aim of this study for us is that no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, whether you've been a Christian for decades, or maybe you're a new believer, or maybe you're not a believer at all this morning, and we're glad all of you are here this morning, that all of you would see Jesus Christ as He is. You would see the glory of Jesus Christ. You would believe in Him. Again, maybe for someone in here for the very first time, for others of us, that our belief in Him would grow deeper and richer. And not only that, that we would savor and treasure Jesus Christ as the all in all. That's what John's Gospel really is all about. He wants us to love Jesus and to know Jesus as intimately as he does. And that's our great desire in the song we just sang. Lord, give us more love. For some of us, maybe that more love is a first love for Jesus. For others, just more, a deeper, more abiding love for Jesus. Open our eyes to see the excellency of Jesus Christ, the majesty of him. Let us see him for who he is and for what he's accomplished for each of us in his life and ministry. But we must see Christ. And that's what this study in John's Gospel is intended to help us to do. So again, we're in John's Gospel this morning, John chapter 1. And we've looked at the first five verses through our first few weeks together. And we pick up this morning at looking at verses 6 through 8. Now I'll go back to verse 1 to read, uh, and I'll read through verse 8. But our focus this morning is verses 6 through 8. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And we'll pause there this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we come to you this morning because you are our God. 
You are the great uncreated creator, the knower of all things, sovereign over all things. And in your kindness and in your goodness, you have assembled each and every one of us here this morning. Not one of us is here by accident. We're here because you have a purpose for us. Lord, I'm not wise enough to know what that is, and I'm certainly not smart enough to speak to each and every individual's experience. But Father, this we know. Christ is the answer. Christ is sufficient for every one of us this morning. And so today, even as we turn our attention to uh, a deeper study of John's gospel, Father, would you show us Christ? To the, the eyes of faith that maybe this morning are blind, haven't yet seen Christ in this way, Father, would you open them? To, to those whose eyes have seen Christ in this way, but maybe they've drifted to other things and maybe we're treasuring something other than Jesus this morning. Would you grant us the grace to repent out of seeing Christ for who he is and return to our King? For he is all. But Father, this is your time. You intend something in our hearts this day. And we simply give ourselves up to it and we oh, have your way in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. So as we look at John's gospel, again, we are looking at Christ. John is giving us these things he tells us in chapter 20, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the great struggle we've talked about each week for us is that in this room, and I can't speak for everybody, but for most of us this morning, we have already have just enough knowledge of Jesus that when you hear we're studying the gospel of John, we're looking at Jesus, some might be inclined to say, well, why? I already know about Jesus. And we rejoice if that's true. And the fact of the matter is, these first two sermons that have been preached, any one of you could have stood up here and preached it because we're just laying out, here's what it says about Jesus Christ. And there wasn't anything unveiled that most of us didn't already know, that Jesus is preexistent, the eternal word. That was verse 1. That means, just as John's gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word. John writes that way because he intends, that sounds familiar. Genesis 1.1 begins the same way. In the beginning, God created. Why does John using the same language as, as Moses does in Genesis? Because when he's describing Jesus for us, he says, Jesus doesn't begin in the manger in Bethlehem. In order to know Jesus, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you've got to know that Jesus existed backwards. He existed eternally. And John says, I want you to know the Jesus that you're going to see in my gospel is preexistent. He's eternal. He's always been. He's one with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was one with the Father, but distinct. He was with God. They were face to face with each other. There's a distinction. But make no mistake, at verse 1 ends, Jesus is God. John says, I want you to know these things. The preexistent Jesus. One with the Father, yet distinct, but he's God. And then in verses uh, 3, 4, and 5, we saw that Jesus is the creator. Man, which means we've got to go all the way back to Genesis 1 and think where God is creating. Jesus is the agency through whom God is using Jesus is the one who's bringing all these things about. This is magnificent power in Jesus Christ to bring all things about. And then Jesus is life and light, which is where we left off last week. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. So John is writing here because he wants us to know the fullness, the richness of Jesus of Nazareth. And every one of us need that this morning. Now here's my disclaimer about this. As we look at John's gospel, he's going to show us glorious things about our glorious Christ. But we are not going to be able to understand all of it. We are not at the end of this study of looking at Jesus in John's gospel. We are not going to be able to say, I've looked at the glory of Christ and I've understood it all. I've comprehended it. I know everything John wanted me to know about Jesus. And here's why. Christ is incomprehensible. Christ, who a lot of times we are so cavalier about, well, I know about Jesus. I, I know he's preexistent. I know he's eternal. I know he's the creator. We are so cavalier in our surface level knowledge that we sometimes fail to understand the fullness of Christ. He is incomprehensible. Whatever your highest thoughts about Jesus, and I promise you there is infinite more. One uh, old Puritan writer, Edward Payson, writing in the 19th century, gave this illustration. He said, comprehending God or Christ is kind of like a person who's looking at the ocean. And the point he's making there is when we view God, uh, we're not just viewing an ocean that seems massive. We're not just looking out. You know, when you go to the ocean, you stand on the shore, right? And you dip your toes in and you look out and it's water as far as you can see there, as far as you can see there, and as far as you can see back there. But in your mind, you can't see it, but you know, if my eyes could travel far enough, eventually there's another shore, right? Now, it may take, uh, you know, by boat days to get there, but eventually on the other side of this ocean, there's another shore. There's another landmass. I'll get to another continent. But when Payson says knowing God, knowing Christ is like visiting the ocean, he means this. God is an ocean without a shore. Our physical oceans have boundaries. There are shorelines somewhere around it. But God is an ocean. There are no boundaries. When it comes to knowing God, you're in the ocean. There is no shore on the other side. This way, or this way, or this way, or this way. There never comes a point to where you come to the end of God. Likewise, the ocean goes down, right? And eventually, depending on how deep you go, you'll come to the bottom of the ocean. But not so with God. There is no floor. It is a bottomless, a bottomless ocean without a shore. And he's, he's helping us to see that when it comes to Christ, our knowledge of Christ, our understanding of Christ, it's just like that. There are no boundaries. There are no limits. There's always more to know. And the same it's true when it comes to our study of John's gospel. That moment you begin to think, all right, I've got his point. I know what he's saying. Fall on your face and plead with God to remove the pride and to ask him to show me more because there's more to be seen. So that's my disclaimer even as we go through this gospel. Jesus is life and light. In him is no darkness at all. And now we continue to build upon this concept of Jesus as the light. In verse 6, we're introduced to a man sent from God. Now, here's the tension this morning. Here's the struggle. 
Every message we preach here, Jesus is the subject. Jesus is the topic. There is a temptation here as verse 6 transitions now, takes our eyes at least, let me use the off of Jesus for a moment, to a man sent from God whose name was John. There is a temptation here now to make John the center of this message. There will be a temptation for you as the hearer to leave here and say, well, that John the Baptist was a great guy. I want to be more like John the Baptist. And if that's our takeaway, we've missed the point. This message that we're going to be talking about John the Baptist is not about John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist's own life was not about John the Baptist. He's the one who later on is going to say, I must decrease and he, Christ, must increase. John the Baptist wouldn't want us walking out of here saying, we learned a lot about John today. So this is my preface. We're going to be talking a little bit about John, but insofar as John is being used by God to point us to Jesus. That's, the, the, that's our, our, our goodness in John. He's a means to help us to see Christ more clearly. So in this message this morning, I want us to consider a couple of things. And, and the first is the person of John all right, the person of John as a means to help us to better understand Christ. And then secondly, I want us to think through the witness of John. But he's a witness to Jesus Christ. So I cringe at my points in this message because they all begin with John, the person of John and the witness of John. But please hear me clearly. We're looking at the person of John as a means to help us see Christ and the witness of John as he's witnessing about Christ. All right? So I will try to be very careful to keep Christ the center of this. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is the person of John as a means to Christ. And there's three things I want us to consider here that come straight from the text. The first thing when it comes to the person of John is that he comes from God. That's verse 6. There was a man sent from God. And this sending from God is not something that just happened out of thin air. It wasn't as though God thought on this particular day, hmm, I think I'm going to send some guy named John. I'm just going to send him and, and kind of, this goes back to the Old Testament. All the way back in Isaiah chapter 40 and all throughout Isaiah's prophecy, God is preparing the people for a coming messenger, a prophet who's going to come. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read things like this. Isaiah writes, Comfort, oh comfort my people, says God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now what there we're seeing in Isaiah chapter 40 is just simply a prophecy from God saying before the Messiah comes in our kids time this morning we talked about the promise of a savior all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When he comes there's going to be somebody who comes before him who's kind of preparing the way. Kind of turning the hearts of the people to prepare. Hey, the Messiah that was promised long ago that we've been waiting, he's almost here. We see a similar prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 
where God says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. So when we come to verse 6, and we see a man sent from God whose name was John, John is intending us to understand this is a very significant person. This is the one Isaiah was prophesying about, Malachi. This is the one who's coming, who's preparing the way, because the Messiah, Jesus, is coming right after him. John came from God. And he's coming to, as Isaiah said, clear the way from the Lord to make smooth on the desert a highway for our God. So God sends John, and John's purpose, his ministry, was to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to prepare the people for the coming of Christ? Is it just announcing, hey, hey, everybody, listen, the, the Messiah is almost here. He's coming. He'd be ready. No, there's something more going on here. The hearts of the people had drifted away from God. The hearts of the people had drifted away from him. And now the, uh, now the prophet comes. John is sent by the Lord to prepare not just people's minds that he's coming, but their hearts, right? What have we seen about Jesus? Jesus is not looking at our outside. He's looking at our hearts. In our study of Revelation, we just saw as Jesus walks among the seven churches, Jesus is not looking at those who are in attendance and saying, hey, good job, I'm excited y'all came to church this morning when he's looking at the seven churches. What's he doing? He's saying, okay, you're here, but let me go, let me examine your heart. Are you really worshiping me? Are you really focused upon me? Are you really treasuring me? It's easy on the outside to look religious and spiritual. I, I try to do it all the time, and you do too. But Christ says, I want you to love me from your heart. And we know there's a vast difference from that. We can say, even to our loved ones, we love you and yet have a heart that's just cold and dry towards them. And we can do the same thing with Jesus. And so John the Baptist was sent to prepare the heart, to prepare the heart to love Jesus and to respond to him rightly. And so he's a man sent from God. That's the first thing we see about his person. Secondly, about his person, still under the same point, he was a man. He was a man sent from God. And the only point I'm making here is he was a real historical person. And John is contrasting here because in verses 1 through 5, his focus has been transcendent. What I mean by that, in the beginning was the Word. Going back into eternity past, outside of time and space, when there was no calendar, there was nothing, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's been very transcendent. And now in verse 6, he transitions. There was a man sent from God, a real human being. He's kind of bringing the book of John back down to earth, if you will. All right? He's been out in the cosmos. This is who Jesus was before creation and in creation. But now he's bringing it down to earth, back to our level. And there was a man sent from God. And so he's a distinction here between Jesus and John the Baptist. There's a distinction John the Baptist is great, but he's no Jesus. This is one who's sent by God. He's just a man sent by God. Jesus is something altogether different. Now, a few things about John, because he is a significant person in the story of redemptive history. This is John the Baptist, just to be clear. The, John, the man that is sent from God in verse 6 is not John, the author of our book. So the Gospel of John is written by the Apostle John. 
And the man sent from God, John, in verse 6, is John the Baptist. So just something to keep in mind. It gets a little confusing there. These are two different people. So John the Apostle is writing about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, we know, was a cousin of Jesus. In fact, they were only about, was it, four to six months apart in birth? So they were very close. They would have known each other, even if they didn't spend day after day together. John the Baptist and Jesus would have had some knowledge of one another. Um, the Gospels don't give us a lot of account of John the Baptist's early years. Uh, they really focus upon what God focused upon, his public ministry, his purpose in sending him to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, John the Baptist was a little bit of a different kind of character, but it speaks to his purpose. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Could you imagine that? I mean, he just lived in the wilderness. Now, for some of you, maybe that sounds fantastic. But for me, I'm a city guy. I mean, just what? He, he just lived in the wilderness. He ate locusts and honey. Listen, I, I don't like seafood. I don't like cheese. And I'm not about to eat a locust or honey. I guess if I'm starving, you do what you got to do. But this is what this man ate. And he wore animal skins for clothing. Again, there were, you know, this wasn't a day of fashion, but there was better things than this. But this is how John lived as an ascetic person who abstained from self-indulgences. He was, can I say this? He just wasn't consumed by those things. He was consumed by one thing. Anyone want to venture a guess the one thing he's consumed by? Jesus. He's consumed by Jesus. Christ is all. And so we're told in Luke's gospel in the 15th year of Tiberius' reign, which is probably going to be around the year 28 or 29 A.D., John the Baptist begins his public ministry of preaching, preparing the way. Jesus is already alive. He's born. He's a, he's a, he's a young adult, and he's about to come on the scene in public ministry. But first, John the Baptist is preparing the way. And how's he? He's going around preaching. I know that's kind of, in the day that we live in today, preaching has fallen on hard times. It's dull, it's dry, it's boring. Who wants to sit down and listen to one guy stand up and talk for 40, 45 minutes? I get it. And I'm the one you got to listen to. I apologize. But that was, this has always been God's way of communication of his truth. And God did the same through John the Baptist. And John's message was one of repentance. That God's Savior, the one who's going to fix what went wrong in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against Him and spiraled all of humanity into rebellion and in eternity in hell, Christ Jesus is coming to fix it. He's on His way. He's almost here. But it will be of no use to you if your heart doesn't see you are a sinner in need of a Savior and you have abandon all other efforts to try to save yourself from God's wrath. Because we try to do that, don't we? We try to keep God happy. Well, if I'm a good person today, God, you're happy with me. No, it doesn't work that way. God, if I try hard, you, you know I'm a sinner. I mean, I, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. So, I mean, maybe you're a little bit happier with me than that other person. It doesn't work that way. You are either as perfect as God is or you are a sinner bound to hell. It is one or the other. It's very black and white. There is no middle ground. And Jesus comes for those who realize there's nothing I can do. I can't be good enough. I can't be moral enough. I can't be religious enough. I can't attend church enough. Listen, I as the preacher, I can't preach enough sermons to make God happy with me. There's only one thing 
one thing that will bring about the forgiveness of my sins, and it's not anything I do, is Christ Jesus, his person, his work. And John the Baptist is coming, saying he's coming, he's almost here, but it will be of no use to you unless your heart recognizes there's nothing else you can do. Your only hope is him. And so he preaches a message of repentance. And we've said all along, repentance is not that little thing most of us tend to do at night. A lot of times we think we repent when at the end of the night we come to uh, say our closing prayers for the day. Lord, I repent. Today I did this, I did that. We maybe have bullet points of things we're going to check off. I repent. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it again tomorrow. Please don't misunderstand me. That's good. We need to bring those things to the forefront. But repentance is person-oriented. What I mean by that is when I have sinned, those sins I've just listed, I have committed treason against God. That sin that I've committed is against God. God has said, live this, pleasing to me, love me, serve me, honor me. I have chosen to serve myself. I have turned away from God, and I have served another master, usually myself, or a spouse, or a family member, or the world. And so repentance is not just owning up, I did it, and I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, Lord, I went this way to serve another king, another master. And in repentance, it's person-oriented. I abandoned you when I did so. I'm returning to you as my king. I'm returning to you. I'm returning to Jesus. It's person-oriented. And that's the message John the Baptist is preaching. You've drifted away from God in sin. And it's not just that you've sinned. You've drifted away from a person. And repent for the kingdom of God at hand means return to that person. And who is that person? It's God. As revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So John ultimately in his public ministry is preparing the way, turning hearts. Now, what happened with John, and this will be our closing kind of biography of him, he got beheaded. All right? That was how he died. John, as the one who was a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, found himself in situations where he was upholding the glory of God, upholding the message of God's word. Well, he got in the face of the wrong king who didn't appreciate his counsel. John called a certain king to repentance because of sin. He had had been unfaithful in his marriage. And so rather than listen, this king wanted John off the face of the earth. And he was beheaded, and his head was served up on a platter to a woman. Um, The Bible's full of graphic things. Why do we bring that up? Following Jesus is costly. Somewhere along the way, I remember hearing this a lot. Follow Jesus, and it's going to fix all your problems. Follow Jesus, and all your problems are going to go away. Your your marriage will get better. Your job will get better. There is no guarantee of that. And the Bible is full of individuals who followed Jesus and lost their lives. They lost their family. They even lost their jobs because of their faithfulness to Jesus. But here's the promise. It's not that following Jesus gives you a better life. It's that you follow Jesus in Him is everything you've ever wanted, you've ever needed. What you've tried to find fulfillment in, in a job and finances and the perfect marriage and the perfect friendship and the perfect hobbies, and yet, yet it always eludes you. Jesus Christ is everything you've been looking for. Oh, that God would give us eyes to see that and to believe it. So we've seen John as sent from God, a man, And one more thing about John, and we see this in verse 8, so skip down. He was not the light, but came to bear witness 
about the light. So John here is being very emphatic. Remember, John's gospel is about Jesus. He wants to make sure exactly what we cautioned at the beginning. I don't want you falling in love with John the Baptist. Let me make very clear. John the Baptist was not the light. He simply was a witness. He testified about the light. The true light, Jesus Christ, was the source of everything that John the Baptist was. When John the Baptist was shining as a lamp, and that's the language Jesus is going to use about John the Baptist, it wasn't because of John the Baptist being a light himself. It was because of Christ and the effect of Christ upon his soul. And John wants to make clear this morning, and it was probably more needful in his day than it was ours, because even as late as the writing of the book of Acts, chapter 19, there are still followers of John the Baptist around. In Acts chapter 19, the apostles are going around baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ. And then you have them saying, well, why, why do we need to do that? We've been baptized by John. So there's still followers of John around. And he wants to make sure John is not Jesus. Jesus is the true light. And so in some degree, John is probably addressing something in his own day, but it's a good word for us as well. John is not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. And just one closing comment about that before we move on to the second point of the message. That's a good word for us today. We live in a day today where we get consumed by, can we say Christian influences? Or just like the world has their own heroes, we in Christianity have our own heroes of the faith. Maybe a certain preacher, a certain Christian writer, and we hold, hold them up on a pedestal. Maybe if you go look on your social media page, you find you're constantly quoting this person or putting their videos on or, or promoting their books. Or, so, you know, we all have these heroes. And this may be a slippery slope, so I want to be careful here. Those people are a resource God has given to us, and we should use those. But over time, it may start to be a reflection of, man, I'm almost treating this person as the light. I'm almost treating this person as though they are Christ because I cling to every word they say. I hold on to every article they write, every book they write. Then now all of a sudden this person becomes almost, and, and you piggyback off them, whether it be, and I don't know who your hero in the faith is, John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or John Piper or um, whoever, you fill in the blank. He is not the light. Christ is the light. And those people are useful to us by God's grace insofar as they point us to the light and make us fall more deeply in love with Jesus. And so maybe there's a need for us to be careful, make sure we haven't set up an idol in our own heart or even portrayed to a watching world. If we are witnesses to Christ in the, in the shadow of John the Baptist, that we're not creating disciples of our favorite Christian author, writer, blogger, so on and so forth. But we're pointing people to Jesus Christ. John was not the light. Christ is the light. So John, his person, everything about him, his calling, his life, his death, everything about him. Don't look at me, John says. I'm pointing you to Christ. I'm preparing your heart for Christ. Do you see that? Well, the second thing we want to look at this morning with regard to John the Baptist, not just his person, 
But we also want to come into contact with his witness. The witness of John the Baptist. Verse 7 says, He, again, that John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, because of those passages I read earlier in Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 3, you remember those? Those were Old Testament prophecies that John the Baptist would come and clear the way. Because of those passages, we know that John the Baptist was set apart by God even before his birth. He was set apart to be a preacher, a proclaimer, to bear witness about Jesus Christ. John's whole purpose was to draw all attention to Jesus. Not to himself, not to his message, but to a person, Jesus Christ. Because the light was about to come into the world. It was going to pierce through the darkness of the world, and the light was coming. Now, the term witness we see here in verse 7 means he's a witness. It's a person who has experience and knowledge and can help establish that truth for someone else, right? Probably in your career, whatever you do for a living, you are somewhat of an expert in your career. And if someone has questions about something that's in your field, you can step up as an expert, as a witness, and speak to that person and share truth with them that helps them, okay, I was confused, but now on the basis of your witness or your testimony, I get it, I understand. That's what John the Baptist is doing for us. In a world that does not know Jesus, and apart from his grace, none of us do, John the Baptist steps in and says, but I, by God's grace, have knowledge and experience of Jesus Christ, and you have questions, you have concerns, you don't get what all the fuss is about with Jesus. I'm here to bear witness, to fill in the gaps, to help you know who Jesus is. Because this we know, even in our own day today, and it's been true all throughout Christian history, Jesus is without doubt the most polarizing figure in all of human history. I mean, he just is. You're either with him or you're against him. Or if you're with him, you've got to make sure you've got the Jesus of the Bible and not some Jesus of your own figment of your imagination, some creation of your own doing. The true Jesus is, is uh, the most polarizing figure ever. And knowing that, God in his infinite wisdom has sent, beginning with John the Baptist, people into the world who know him, who've experienced him to bear witness about him. (laughs) And the the crazy thing, God could have used any means ultimately to do this. I mean, he could have used angels. He did use other things. In fact, in John's gospel, we read about um, his miracles bear witness. Jesus' miracles bear witness about who he is. His teachings bear witness about who he is. In John 5, the scriptures bear witness about who Jesus is. So there are multiple things that are bearing witness to the truth of the fullness of who Jesus is, but one thing shines above them all, and it's John the Baptist. It's people who God has placed a burning knowledge and zeal for Christ in their heart to make Christ known to the world around. And so John is not the light, but he's a man sent from God serving as a lamp. The lamp is not the light, is it? A lamp, think about in your home, there's a light, a light bulb probably in the lamp that's radiating through the lamp. John the Baptist is the lamp. The light is Christ. 
The light is burning inside of John the Baptist. It's burning. It's giving light to John the Baptist. And he's simply radiating the light of Christ as a lamp. An old, old Baptist preacher, John Gill, says this. John the Baptist gave great light to others. He was the means of guiding the feet of many in the way of peace. His light of pure doctrine and of a holy and exemplary conversation shone very visibly and brightly before men. He burned, listen to this, he burned with strong love and affection for Christ. Let me say that again. He doesn't just have a knowledge up here of the facts of Jesus. That's where some of us live. Some of you could stand up here just as adequately as I am and teach a class on the theology of Jesus. That's not the same as being a witness. What sets John, the, his soul burned, his heart treasured Jesus above all things. He, Christ radiated in his soul. He burned with love for Jesus and affection for Jesus. And that was what made him an effective witness to the world. John was both light and heat. And it was Christ at work within him. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And oh, what a witness he bore. Time's not going to allow us to go into all the details and to be perfectly honest, that's what the rest of the sermon series is about. But very quickly, just a few things that John the Baptist bore witness about Christ. In chapter 1, verse 23, he's the Lord, the anointed one. He's declaring there in chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, make straight the way of the Lord. He's referencing back to Genesis 3 there. The anointed one that was promised. He's here. He's here. Can you imagine They've been waiting for like 2,000 years. This is not just like, you know, he made a promise and the next week he fulfilled it. 2,000 years. He's here. John also testified in verse 29 of chapter 1. He's the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sin that Adam and Eve caused in Genesis 1, that's going to cause every human being to go to hell because of sin against God. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The lamb who takes those away because he's going to take it for you. He's going to go to the cross and die the death. Jake Cooper deserved to die. Jake Cooper, who deserves to be in hell right now, I say that cringingly but truthfully. My only hope is that Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, came and died on the cross for the sins that I am guilty of. And I deserve to be punished for, but he was punished in my place. John bore witness. Christ is that one. John testified in John chapter 1, verse 30, that Christ hanked, uh, ranked higher than himself. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. What's John saying? Don't look at me. You think I'm something special? Look at Christ. He's the one your eyes need to be on. He says in chapter 1, verse 33, Christ is the giver of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, this is the long-awaited bridegroom. In chapter, uh, in chapter uh, 1, verse 34, he says here, he is the Son of God. 
Over and over, he's just bearing witness, this is who this Christ is. And he's not doing it like from a seminary class where he's, now write these notes down. They come from a heart that is burning. This is who Christ is. This is who he is for me, to me, and who he can be for you. It's amazing. And here's what's uh, further, I was thinking about this this week. Jesus here is called the light. What do you know about the light? All right, the Bible says we are all living in darkness. And so when light shines in the darkness, do you have to be told, hey, the light just came on? You don't, do you? I mean, it's just, it's unless you are physically blind, like totally blind, and I don't say that tongue in cheek. I mean, I, th- that is a real thing for people. Unless you are blind, when a light comes on, you see it. But here, Jesus, the light comes into the world of darkness, and we're going to read in, in a subsequent passage coming up, and the world didn't see it. This blazing inferno of the glory of God is here, and they didn't see it. It speaks to what? Not how the brightness of Jesus, well, maybe it's not as bright as it needs to be. No, it speaks to the darkness of the world. It is so thick and deep and dark and dense. We need a witness to come and tell us the light is here. That whole dynamic is just amazing to me. But John's hope is, by my heart burning with Jesus, my hope is him, he is all, I've forsaken all else, I don't need anything else, Christ is all. My hope is, verse 7, that all, that you might believe like I do. That you might see this Christ and it not fall on deaf ears, but that you might see this Christ and you might treasure him as I do. That's John's great hope. Something we said early on, it's, it's just, I'm, as, a, as a Bible nerd, it, it fascinates me. Not once in John's gospel does he use the word faith. That is very unusual in a New Testament book. Not once does he use the noun faith. But in its place, he uses a verb, believe. They're two sides of the same coin, if you will. But we know faith as a noun is something we can talk about. Oh, yeah, I have faith. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I did this. Yeah, when I was a kid. I... And we can talk about it as a, as a very, just very surface level thing. But John's writing that you may believe. And what he has in mind there is, is that your heart, your heart would be gripped by who this Jesus is. Your heart would be captivated by who this Jesus is. That it won't just stay up here in your head, facts about him, but that you would be gripped by the light, the word, the pre-existent Christ, and that you would cling to him to your last breath because there is nothing else to cling to. There is no other hope. Like John the Baptist, as you know, you and I are God's lamp to a dark world in your home. Dads, moms, I look here at these little ones. Oftentimes we hear it said, well, I just want to get my kid in church, and I'm an advocate for that. But understand the church doesn't have primary responsibility for helping our kids Love Jesus. It's you who have that responsibility. The church is a supplement. Our neighbors around us, our co-workers, 
those who are hurting. Maybe some of you are hurting this morning. They have questions. They don't know where to turn. Life just seems out of control. Maybe their marriage is just hard to... They're barely making it. Maybe their finances, they're just, it's, just, it's just not working. Maybe relationships are breaking and they have questions. You are the lamp. And the answer is not, well, I've got good financial counsel for you. Or I've got marital counsel for you. The answer is what burns within you. It's Christ. Everything that marriage is trying to be, everything those finances are trying to accomplish, everything we're trying to pursue in the perfect job, it's what Christ is. He is all. He is our joy. He is our happiness. And as a witness, you are a lamp to the world around you. But here's the thing. Here's where it gets complicated. Because I think everyone in this room agrees with that. Here's where it gets complicated and where sometimes it gets uncomfortable for us. When you try to give to somebody else what you don't have yourself. The old saying is you can't give what you don't have. And let me be clear, have here does not mean a knowledge of it. If you don't have that burning zeal in your heart, like John the Baptist, that zeal for Christ, your words will always come across as empty when you're shining as a lamp to other people. You can't give what you don't have. That's what made John the Baptist so effective, so faithful, so great among men. Not because he was great, because his Savior was great. And his Savior was everything to him. So let me ask you this morning as we close. Just two points of application. Number one, for the unbeliever. For you who are here this morning and you are keeping Jesus at arm's length. And when I, maybe you, you, you know about Jesus, but a heart that you're everything for Jesus, you're keeping that at arm's length. My question is, how long will you continue to do that? How long are you going to continue to grope aimlessly in darkness? Thinking that, well, today didn't get, uh, accomplish what I want, but tomorrow will. Tomorrow will be a better day. Tomorrow I'll find just the right thing. If you're here as an unbeliever keeping Christ at arms, how long will you continue to do that? And everyone in this room has played that game before. Where we hear, Jesus is what you're looking for. And yet our hearts, no, no, no. Listen, I expect to hear that from the preacher, but listen, give me a couple more days. I'm going to find something. I don't need to become a fanatic like you up there. Well, continue if you want. You will be the worst for wear. And we can say that from experience because we've all been there. Christ is what you're looking for. He is the all in all. Tomorrow will not fix today's confusion. Unbeliever, how long will you continue to drink from a puddle of mud? You think, why would I drink from a puddle of mud? Because you don't know it's a puddle of mud. You've drank from this puddle your whole life, and you think, well, this is the water of life. But those around you who've seen Christ look, and they see, and they know, no, it's a puddle of mud. You're not drinking from the fountain of Christ, from His fullness and all that He is. How long will you continue to drink from a fountain of of mud when what has been made available to you are fountains of living water in Jesus Christ. How long, unbeliever, will you continue to eat garbage and say it's great food 
You may think the garbage you're eating is great food. Your Christian friends know it's nothing compared to Christ. You think you can keep Christ at arm's length. It will be to your detriment. Oh, unbeliever. John the Baptist came to bear witness. Christ is all. Won't you repent today? Turn from everything else you're living for and turn to the one who is everything. And then finally, for you as believers, for Christians, the thing about living in a world of darkness is there are always shadows for you and I to drift towards. Right? We can always begin to drift back to a life apart from Christ. Back to sin. Back to self-centeredness. Why do we want to go and live in the shadows, in the darkness? Because we're pursuing something. Something we think in the moment will satisfy us. Something that's not Christ. Because Christ is light. And so we hide in the darkness. Christian, and we all have done it, everyone in this room. Why, if you're dwelling in the shadows this morning, why stay there another moment? We all know that whatever it is you're hiding or in the shadows with won't satisfy. The light is what you've been brought to. So if you're struggling this morning in the shadows, and I would suspect many of us are, there's two things to do. Number one, put away those things which are darkness. You cannot hold on to sin with one hand and say you love God honestly with the other. You just can't do it. <laughs> I've tried. And God sees right through it. And you have too. You can't hold hands with your sin and your professed love for God. You must put your sin away. Which means what? Repent. Cry out to God. Again, not just using the language, of, Lord, I have drifted away from Christ as my all in all, and I've pursued something else. You fill in the blank. I repent. I turn back. I'm returning to my king. I'm returning to the light. That's the first thing you must do. Secondly, open your Bible. Open your Bible. Every page from Genesis 1 to Revelation, the last chapter of the book, Every page is about Jesus. Every page declares the glory and the excellency of Jesus Christ. Open your Bible. And don't just read. Open your Bible and plead with the Lord. Show me your glory. Show me the beauty of Christ. Show me Christ here. Show me the light. Maybe it's been a long time. Show me again. Maybe for the first time in a long time. Show me. I don't want to see a candle. I don't want to see a, a, a flashlight. I, don't want to, I want to see the light of Christ, the blazing inferno that makes even the sun in the sky look dull. I want Christ. Show me Christ. That is the life of a Christian. That's not something you do one time. It's something you're doing daily. It's something I have to do daily. Listen, I'm a sinner. I struggle. And I know you do too. Repent. Cry out to God. Show me Christ. So whether you're a believer or an unbeliever this morning, the answer is the same. Jesus Christ. Won't you look to Him?